Welcome to Don't IEP Alone, the only podcast dedicated to helping parents navigate the IEP process and hosted by a special education advocate. Your host has been attending IEP meetings for over a decade and has helped thousands of parents go from an IEP rookie to an IEP all-star. Be prepared to learn tips that will be a total game changer for you as a parent advocate and most importantly, your child's outcomes. Partnered with the award-winning Lock a Day in Our Shoes, you'll be confident, knowledgeable, and actually looking forward to your next IEP meeting. Don't IEP alone. Get ready. Here's your host, from suburban Philadelphia, Lisa Leitner. Hey, everybody. Um, Lisa here. And um, I wanted to put this bonus bonus material out. Um, and I think from now on, kind of like anything that's not directly related to IEPs, I'm calling a bonus material and not putting in the regular schedule, so to speak. Um, but there's just something that's been weighing on me and, you know, I feel like if this podcast helps one child, then I will have done my job and it will be worth it. Um, and I wanted to talk about seizures a little bit. As many of you know from the blog and the Facebook page, um, my son has been struggling with seizures, um, since 2015 that we know of. And I'm going to get into that. He was born, he's 12 years old, so he wasn't born in 2015. He was almost nine when he started having them. Or was he almost 10? Almost nine. Anyway. Um, so let me back up a bit. When Kevin was born, he was, as an infant, he, was, he started missing some milestones. And um, I was a worried first-time mom. Kept going to the pediatrician. Oh, he's not rolling over yet. Blah, blah, blah. And she kept saying, at six months, we'll worry. At six months, we'll worry. And um, at six months, he still wasn't rolling over. And she's like, okay, let's, you know, start doing this and this. And that's when we started the diagnostics. So it was quite shortly after that, um, at eight or nine months, that we had his diagnosis of his genetic condition. And, of course, like all parents do, Um, In this day and age, you know, we immediately went to the internet and started researching this condition. And we learned that due to his genetic condition, that he had a very high risk of developing seizures. That, you know, well over 50% of the kids who have um, dupe 15 have debilitating seizures. It's not just seizures. It's, I mean, it's seizures. And unfortunately, um, the reason I'm recording this now is that we have now lost another Duke 15 child to um, seizures and that's weighing heavily on me obviously Um, when someone when a child dies of the same condition that your kid has sorry I'm starting to lose it here but when it's, it's just very unnerving when a child dies and this child happened to be the same age as Kevin is right now so it's very unnerving. But at the same time, I want to help and um, tell you guys the things that I wish I had known about seizures. Um, like I said, if, if it helps just one person. Um, because anyway, so back to Kevin, his his diagnosis as a baby. Um, I, I distinctly remember his pediatrician asking me, like, um, 
are you seeing infantile spasms? Are you seeing infantile spasms? And I'd say no, because I, I don't know. I was an overwhelmed first time mom. And now I, I know that my son has this, um, disabling condition and I was saying, no, no, he's not. Um, but looking back, I didn't even know what an infantile spasm was, but I guess that I was just assuming that since I wasn't seeing anything abnormal, um, that he wasn't having infantile spasms. Now I have since learned what an infantile spasm looks like and thank goodness I was correct. And, and based on the videos that I've seen online, um, I don't think he was having infantile spasms as an infant. I strongly suggest you go to, if you have an infant who's at risk of seizures, please go to the Child Neurology Foundation page and they have a great video of some babies and it's, it's kind of hard to watch, but it's, it just shows you that this is what an infantile spasm looks like. And I just wish I had seen that as, as a new mom or as a mom that I knew that my child was at risk of seizures. Um, so that's my first bit of advice, you know, cause I just think she, my pediatricians all along the, all along the way have been alert. They've been informed. Um, they took all my concerns seriously. They weren't, you know, the wait and see type, um, they took my concerns seriously and, and really pursued things um, in a very timely manner. But at the same time, she was asking all the right questions saying, are you seeing infantile spasms? But I don't know, you know, I'm not blaming her. I don't make it sound like that, but I, I just said no. And I didn't know what infantile spasms were. So that's one. Um, the other thing, one of the other things is that um, I, I, at one point, posted a video on Facebook of my kids at an, at an amusement park and the video um Kevin we saw Kevin's first big seizure in 2015 and it was they don't use the term grand mall anymore it's um tonic clonic but um we saw a tonic clonic seizure in 2015 um Sometime after that, after he received his official epilepsy and a Lennox Gusteau diagnosis, I posted a time hop video of several years before his diagnosis of my kids in an amusement park. And it's just this adorable video of two little toddler boys, toddler and a preschooler. And it's about two minutes long. Um, but I was watching like the first 30 or 45 seconds of it. And then I shared it on Facebook. And later that day, my husband said, yeah, did you see Kevin's seizure in the video? And I was like, wait, what? So I went back to the video that I shared, watched the whole thing, and sure enough, um, near the end of the video, which I hadn't watched it to the end, um, he has, it's, I can't tell if it's really a head, a head drop or an atonic seizure, but he had a seizure. And um, I know now that that's a seizure, but I didn't know that then. And again, I was filming him through my phone, so maybe I didn't even see it at the time. Who knows? If I had seen it at the time, I probably wouldn't. It happens. If you've seen a head drop or a quick atonic seizure, you you know how they're, they're over. It's like a fraction of a second. If you know it, you see it. But if you didn't know what you were looking at, you may not recognize it. So my point here is, is that there are, um, there are dozens of different kinds of seizures not just, you know, the um, generic grand mall, which, like I said, is called tonic clonic now, but there's, um, there are so many different kinds. And I didn't know that. Um, 
And I thought that if my son developed epilepsy, that we would see it, right? We would see that one big seizure. Um, So that's another thing you need to know is that, you know, look at the Epilepsy Foundation or look somewhere um, and, and see the different types of seizures. So, of course, since we had this genetic diagnosis, we were seeing a whole slew of specialists at our local children's hospital, including neurology. They did his first EEG and MRI when he was six or eight months old. Um, he had multiple things done then, you know, when we, when we were going through the diagnostics and they determined that there was no seizure activity. We were doing follow-ups, I want to say every two years. And then around... I want to say it was like around four or five and um, his one neurologist left the hospital and nobody told us that we needed to keep seeing a neurologist. And I know you're like, well, duh, like how stupid can you be? But keep in mind, this is a kid who is seeing like a dozen different specialists annually or every other year by annual. By I mean, he was seeing cardio, and he was seeing genetics, um, and he was seeing, uh, he sees pulmonology, he sees vision, um, tons of behaviorists, PT, OT. I mean, he's, the kid's, like, life is just, he spends more time with clinicians than he spends with other kids, right? But we hadn't been seeing a neurologist because there hadn't been any seizure activity, and no one told us, like, well, you should still be going regularly, you know, and having these EEGs done. Um, and you say, well, why, why would you have EEGs if, if, um, if you weren't seeing any activity? Great question. Because I've also since learned that there's something called subclinical activity. And what that basically means is that not all seizures are visible. There can be seizure activity going on in the brain, but you don't see it. Um, there's also a condition called ESES, which um, shows up on an EEG, but it's basically seizures while you're sleeping. And this has been an ongoing problem for Kevin, which, um, again, if I, had, if I had stayed with neuro, we probably would have caught this a year or two earlier. Um, so that's one thing I beat, me up, beat myself up about. The other thing is that... Um, Another thing, you know, besides the sleep um, seizures is that there's something called SUDEP, S-U-D-E-P, which stands for Sudden Unexplained Death from Epilepsy. Um, And if your child's at risk from seizures, you need to know about this. And even the, um, I don't know if it's called the SUDEP Foundation or whatever it is, it's something, I believe it's an offshoot of the Epilepsy Foundation, but um, they've been running a public awareness campaign called SUDEP Say the Word because neurologists do not like to talk about this and um in fact once kevin was diagnosed with epilepsy and i've asked two um i've asked several neurologists about this but one neurologist got very um belligerent with me when i asked about what i could do to prevent SUDEP, and he embarrassed me in front of a room full of people it was a, it was a seminar for parents on epilepsy and i asked about SUDEP, and he said well let me tell you this, if, if you just learn that your baby has seizures, do you want to know right away that they could die in their sleep? And I'm thinking, well, 
yeah, maybe I do. You know, I deserve to know. Um, but the reason they don't like to talk about it is because they don't know. It's a really unknown thing. And it's very, it's so incredibly tragic. Um, it, it's just, and, and, and all I've learned since then is that the only way to control your risk of suit up is just to control your seizures. That's, that's all they can figure out. They really can't figure out what causes it, why some people, why it happens to some people and not others. Um, so that's why they don't like to talk about it. I talked to another neurosurgeon um, from Maryland and I kept asking her about it and she like point blank like would have just avoid my question. It was almost like she heard me say it and just would talk about something else. They just, some doctors just do not want to talk about it. Um, and it's a very real thing and parents need to know about it. Um, I've since gotten myself a nighttime monitor, you know, with night vision and things like that so that I can watch him at night. Um, and that's something I certainly would have done sooner if I had known about all this stuff. Um, but going back to the sleep seizures suit up, there are other signs that you're, that you have epilepsy besides seizures. You can see forgetfulness such as amnesia, um, anxiety, depression, headaches, sleepiness, staring spells, right? There's other signs that there's seizure activity going on in the brain besides seeing the actual seizure. And I distinctly remember Kevin going through periods of his life where he was sleeping and a really um, inordinate amount of time for his age. He was, it was at a time where he was just really too old to be sleeping as much as he was. He wasn't a baby anymore, wasn't a toddler with naps and, you know, taking two, three naps a day. And I think, you know, because they don't get good quality sleep. If you're having, if you're seizing while you're trying to sleep, you, you don't get good quality sleep and it makes you tired. Duh. <laughs> so I just wish I had known that. Um, we just always blamed it as a growth spurt or maybe at a hard day at school. Who knows? You know, whatever it was, we, we blamed it on something else. Um, so... Um, the other thing I wish I had known is that this whole keto thing, and I know that some food bloggers and whatnot and um, multi-level marketing people have made this keto thing into a fad, but please know that it is a real therapy for seizures. Um, Kevin also has ARFID and other feeding issues. So for us, keto diet is just not even an option. The kid would starve to death quite literally. Um, so keto is not an option for us, but had I known that, I just, I think I would have made his feeding a higher priority than I did. Um, you know, mom guilt beat myself up a lot. Um, they're just looking back. There were some signs that there was probably something going on. Um, falls, he was probably, he probably, he's, he's fallen several times since we've known about the seizures that required stitches, but he fell a couple of times actually before he was diagnosed with epilepsy and needed stitches. Um, and both times that happened, you know, he has poor motor planning, um, and he has, he's vision impaired. So it was, it was easy to say, well, you know, he, he has a vision impairment and he has poor motor planning and he has low tone. Um, 
so it was kind of easy to say, well, that's probably why he fell. Although at the one time, it just didn't make sense to me why he fell the way he did and landed the way he did. And now that I've since seen the seizure falls, it makes a lot of sense, um, knowing that it was probably a seizure fall. Anyway, um, give your kids an extra hug tonight. Um, thinking of the families uh, the Duke 15 families this year who have lost their children because there have been several of them um, and it's been seizure related so give your kids an extra hug tonight I know I'm giving mine an extra hug and you know read up on your child's condition one third of the kids with autism develop seizures and that's something that nobody talks about and we have to start talking about that um, and I'm not just talking about Duke 15 kids with autism. I'm talking about overall, all, all the kids with autism, one third of them develop seizures. So you need to know that just by having autism diagnosis alone, they are at a higher risk of developing seizures. Um, so be on the lookout and hopefully you won't be beating yourself up in a few years um, the way I'm currently beating myself up and peace and love and I will talk to you all soon thanks for listening to the don't IEP alone podcast no parent should have to IEP alone and with a day in our shoes you don't have to for more IEP assistance and letter templates visit a day in our for ongoing assistance and support follow our Facebook page and group